You're listening to 103.5 FM, WLSPLP, Sun Prairie, Wisconsin. The views expressed on this program are those of the producers and individuals appearing on this program and do not necessarily reflect the views of the Sun Prairie Media Center staff or the staff and elected officials of the city of Sun Prairie. We built this city. We built this city on rock and roll. We built this city. We built this city on rock and roll. Hey, everybody, and welcome to another episode of What Are We Building from 103.5 FM, The Sun, and Sun Prairie Media Center. Uh, I want to thank you all for tuning in, and uh, my guest today is Ruben Sanone. Ruben is the communication and diversity strategist for the city of Sun Prairie. Uh, with everything that's been going on and the focus on, on racial justice and racial issues, Ruben is in the city government and was really a, a great person to talk to. And uh, I, you know, I was very pleased to find out, quite honestly, that Sun Prairie had already taken steps to hire someone to have him uh, in that position. And uh, we talk about kind of what, what, where he's coming from and what his plan is and how he's involved in, in trying to make Sun Prairie more of a, a racially just place and uh and we're all kind of i think evaluating what we can do in our town uh to to sort of accomplish some of the goals that black lives matter has been been keeping the focus on and i wanted to continue to, to try to do that on some of these future shows so it's something i, I hope we can continue to discuss because i really think it's a crucial issue uh not just right now but i, I want to keep it in the focus as we as we continue to, to talk about what type of community are we building and who are we in sun prairie and so uh you'll hear that in a bit some updates locally on uh, what are we building and some of the newsy kind of things were a little bit of a concern of of what we're not building and actually turned out for the best and specifically for the uh, the Meyer pumpkin patch development which um you know we, you can go back and listen to episode two i did with joe chase where he talked about uh the old schneider farmhouse i'm curious to see how that uh, all plays out i don't unfortunately think there that that house likely will not be saved um but uh, you know these things happen and there was some concern at, at one point with the planning commission that, that there was some you know issues with the developers and some really kind of minor things in my mind that uh, could have derailed that whole development uh, which which would have been bad for the taxpayers and and the city. Quite honestly, I was at the grocery store on Saturday and just insane. And anybody that thinks you know we don't need or can't support uh, another grocery store um, and the jobs that it'll bring, you know Myers is Myers is big box retail. I mean they got groceries, they got everything. You know not the most unique or interesting type of store, but it certainly gives a uh, gives people shoppers here some more choices. And uh, keeps competition and prices down, and and for working folks and, and people that need access to to the basic necessities, uh, Meyer's a good good place to shop for that. I think we'll find. So there, there was some concerns, and I was really pleased to see the cooler heads prevailed on the city council, and uh, Meyer did make some concessions there, and uh, and we were able to move that forward. The other thing that is not. Uh, happening um, or taking action, not necessarily something we're building, but uh, in terms of what we're doing for the community, the Boys and Girls Club had wanted to use, you know, they, they moved into the old uh, Peace Lutheran Church uh, there on Windsor Street. And there, there's the parsonages, that's a, that's a hard word to say, parsonage, that the, uh, you know, the pastor lived in over there is a, a single family home. It's a, a ni- nice home. And, and the, the intent or thought was that that would stay a home. Um, but the, the Boys and Girls Club want to kind of turn it into a, a tech education type of, of center where we're in a classroom setting people you know who use the boys and girls club facilities would have the ability to go in and, and learn some basic trade skills and create exactly the type of environment that i think whether it's it's racial issues what can we do for more poor and working class people to to help move 
into some skills and some things that can really help improve their situation. That's really the mission of the Boys and Girls Club. Uh, they like to be located near near neighborhoods, near communities. And, you know, I sympathize with some of the people there that in that neighborhood that say, do I really want, you know, initially it was kind of described as a teen center. Uh, I don't know if they thought there'd be like raves going on all the time or something. But, you know, you have, you have teenagers, young people coming in and out. It's going to be, you know, kind of a classroom setting. And, you know, I, I could sympathize where parking concerns or noise and issues that uh, people it, it, there's this NIMBY mentality right n-i-m-b-y not in my backyard everybody likes the boys and girls club likes what they're doing uh, but but i don't want it right next door to me or in my backyard and we got to kind of get out of that mentality and realize what's best for the community and uh, you know and, and the greater good and and having that type of center is really what we want to do now the planning commission tabled this and decided not to move forward with it and, you know, the, the Boys and Girls Club wasn't planning on doing anything imminently, but I'm sure would like to know and have a decision so they can plan accordingly for that and start kind of figuring out. Otherwise, they wouldn't have brought it up. So I was a little disappointed to see that, that, that we, we punted on that one and didn't, you know, continue moving it forward. But, but the hope is that ultimately they can kind of prove themselves as a good neighbor and, uh, and be able to, to move that in. You know, I, I actually, a neighbor of mine actually runs a, a, a home daycare. And if, if you'd asked me before she put it in, do I want, you know, parents and, and kids, you know, running around right next door to me. I, I, I probably wouldn't love that idea off the bat, but in reality, it's been completely fine. It doesn't bother me at all. I'm not home during the day at work when most of the kids are out there. And, uh, and it gives people an option as a, as something that's, that's maybe a more affordable option than, you know, a major daycare center or something that's a little more expensive. So, you know, I'm okay with that. And, uh, it, it's for the greater good. So I, th- I think, uh, that's the same approach we should have for the boys and girls club. So a couple of things I want to mention about, uh, my interview with Ruben Senon before we get into that, we'll take a little break first is that I, I, the audio is not great i'll be perfectly honest with you most of the time I, i've been set up here pretty well at home to be able to do this remote podcasting but whether it was the phone connection or my connection or his I, it just wasn't the best audio and i apologize for that i hope the studio will be up and running again soon but but bear with us and because uh, it was a really really important discussion to have and and hopefully you can kind of get get past some of the the audio issues we had and the other thing is we we recorded this interview last week which was before um actually i'm recording this on uh, on a wednesday and so just last night was when the uh, the vandalism and the destruction of the forward statue and uh, and the other statue around the capitol square happened which was uh, obviously really disappointing complicated things for me in terms of how how i view those protests and local symbols and what those statues mean i understand you know the the frustration and the helplessness of needing to lash out and do something drastic to get the attention uh, of people in madison but uh, ultimately you got to draw the line somewhere and that is just going to be counterproductive and uh, and it was really unfortunate and so we didn't we didn't talk about that and i didn't want to you know it was conspicuous the fact that we wouldn't have talked about it um, but we recorded the interview before that so I, I just wanted to mention that make sure everybody was aware so we'll take a little break and uh you come back and hear my conversation with ruben senon <laughs> You're listening to What Are We Building on WLSP-LP-FM, Sun Prairie, Wisconsin, serving the city of Sun Prairie and the surrounding area at 103.5 FM. You can go to our website, sunprairiemediacenter.com, check out uh, different content and uh, videos, different things on there. There was a history of Juneteenth that was posted, uh, as well as this, uh, a great new show, In Focus, which is about a 10-minute uh, news broadcast of kind of local news going on. They do that every week on Tuesdays, so make sure and check that out. If uh, you have any thoughts about my interview with Ruben um, that you'll hear in just a minute, I, I invite you to email the show, wawbsp 
at gmail.com. And uh, if you have any want to listen to previous episodes, you can go to the Sun Prairie Media Center app as well as the website. Uh, this show is also available on Spotify, on Anchor FM, on Apple Podcasts. Uh, so uh, thanks very much, and uh, we'll come back in a second, and you'll hear my interview with Ruben Senon. You can start out um, introducing yourself. So uh, my name is Ruben Senon. I am serving as the Communications and Diversity Strategist for the City of Sun Prairie. Um, and I've been in the world since November. And where are you from, Ruben? Where did you Where did you grow up originally? So I'm from all over the place, but I, I consider Madison my hometown. I lived in Madison from between the ages of eight to sixteen, so my formative years are all Madison. Okay. And then did you go Did you go to college, or what did you do after high school? So after high school, I went to UW Madison, even though I moved away. Uh, realized that there's not a lot of places like this part of the country. Um, yeah. So I studied journalism and political science. Um, and then after that, I worked in marketing for a little bit, but really missed having what I did with my day. The mission behind it, so I left that in Chicago and moved to Ann Arbor, Michigan um, for a short bit to do some freelance work with some nonprofits um, and some small businesses um, using my communication skills um, and my political science background. And from there, I was able to get a role um, running a program called Badger Volunteers with GW. Madison, so I came back to Madison after that um, with the Mortgage Center for Public Service. Um, and I did that role for about three years uh, before I got here. Super. That's terrific. So, yeah, I mean, we, we have actually some things in common. I, I studied journalism at the, uh, at the university uh, in Madison and then um, went into marketing to that, you know, kind of was on the advertising track a little bit. But, yeah, uh, didn't end up in the public sector, but uh, certainly have always been interested in that. And I, I think it's kind of led me a little bit to this podcast and trying to, to be more involved and in, in knowledgeable and, and, you know, what's going on in the city, you know, mostly from a a building and development perspective was kind of how I came at it. But I've, I've enjoyed kind of getting to know, you know, the people, different people involved in terms of, of what we're building as a community. And, uh, and you know, diversity, I think, is a big part of that. And I've, I've felt for a while, and, and especially in light of the protests and things that have been going on, you know, what can Sun Prairie do to be the place in Dane County in Wisconsin that's sort of held up as a, a place that, that we welcome all all cultures, all, all ethnicities, all races, and it seems like a lot of people when they want to, you know, move out of Madison or Milwaukee or looking to move to the suburbs, Sun Prairie has a lot to offer. But I want to make sure I think it offers even more when we have all different, you know, races and ethnicities and backgrounds contributing uh, to those the, the culture here. And and so I just wanted to, to kind of get your feedback on what your role is in that and and kind of what your vision is from that standpoint for, for Sun Prairie. Yeah, and I really like the way you said that, that how can Sun Prairie be that exemplary figure in the area? Because I think a lot of times people think of us as a suburb of Madison, but especially right now, but Sun Prairie is an, is an entity within itself. I mean, people don't have to leave Sun Prairie anymore. So it's more important than ever that we're being in front of our brand and really understanding that everything we're doing is defining who we are as a community. So um, definitely. Yeah, Sun Prairie has its own identity, and I think that's a, a good thing, you know, some, especially Madison has this reputation, and I think that people um, working in this space has been happening for a long time around diversity, equity, and inclusion, and belonging, and um, institutionalized racism, even though Madison has this uh, reputation of being a welcoming liberal place, we still see these deep disparities, especially between the black and white community. Uh, and, you know, Wisconsin ends up being one of the worst places 
uh, for black males to be alive, education-wise, incarceration-wise, job-seeking-wise. And so we can't pretend like uh, Madison is already the beacon for this stuff. And so I think that's a really good opportunity for Sun Prairie to do that um, itself. And I think especially, I think Sun Prairie is the exact right distance from Madison um, in that it can define itself. People live their whole life here, work here, play here, um, raise their families here. And so I was just saying it's important, more important than ever to be aware that we have our own brand, um, that we are an incredibly fast-growing city. At some points, we are the fast-growing city in Wisconsin. And so getting ahead of that is important so we're not creating the same problem um, of deeper institutionalized segregation um, that you see in some of our neighbor cities. No, I, I totally agree. And, and one of the things I felt from the protests, obviously, that that started in Minneapolis, but were very prominent in Madison, was that this is happening in areas, northern cities, that are are held up as sort of these bastions of progressivism that normally tend to vote Democrat, normally tend to vote Democratic, but but still have a lot of, of deep seated uh, issues with you know segregation, with you know not not legally or, or or put in place by you know by legal statutes, but just naturally how neighborhoods have evolved, the the communities are separated, educational and, and work uh, you know paid disparities. All those kind of things are happening. This isn't happening in Alabama and Mississippi. It's happening in the Midwest and in places that are are supposedly progressive. Madison has had, you know, a history of of where these different neighborhoods and, and, you know, people kind of get get separated. Sun Prairie, like you said, has an opportunity that we haven't grown that big to be able to to not have those problems and be able to sort of welcome everybody and and sort of hopefully avoid, uh, you know, some of the the problems that, that some of these other cities have had. Yeah, and something that you said early on, like, how do we do this? And I think that's really key, is not pretending like we've already gotten there, but being knowledgeable and acknowledging that these systems took a really long time to put in place. I think a lot of times people think, oh, well, this is natural. I think I had someone recently ask me, well, do you think sometimes communities are segregated because people of color want to live near each other? Mm -hmm. And the answer to that question is, you know, yes and... You know, there's a history of when people move into predominantly white neighborhoods, harassment, threats, um, or white fright. And so we have to understand that, you know, even though these things aren't written as the laws now, we're still living with the effects of redlining. We're still living with the effects of Jim Crow era that made certain spaces safe. And even though you're nice to people when you walk by them, it takes so much work to undo that. And you have to be very intentional about the way you do that. No, and it really is. I mean, it's a call to all of us that think we do tend to live in neighborhoods with people that that look like us. And part of it is part of it is preference, but part of it is is history, like you said. And and part of it is the way that white people have reacted when maybe maybe you haven't been as as friendly or you look at them differently. Or and we're part of this awareness, I think, that's happening over the last few weeks and, and several years. I think it's been a process is waking ourselves up to to how we treat our neighbors to to treat them. For sure. And I think, you know, I think something you pointed out, uh, you have to go beyond what you have expectations for yourself. I think a lot of times, especially majority cultures, you know, go by that age-old thing, treat others as you want them to treat you. And that just means, you know, leaving them alone a lot of times. But we know, especially for people, an example of um, a person of color moving into, especially a black person moving into a neighborhood, if you don't know that neighbor, it is a, it is a lot more likely that somebody's going to assume that they don't live there. And so even having going out of your way to introduce yourself to that person is that work that you need to put in, that personality behind it, so that you're avoiding the issues that people 
the inherent um, systemic racism that lives in us um, that we need to be aware of, we're not feeding into that. Right. So, so you said you've been in this role since November, and I know there was kind of a, you know, in the wake of, of some of the other, you know, police killings that have happened prior to George Floyd, been going on for a number of years, you know, the Sun Prairie did commission a study and sort of explore diversity and, and what we can do. And I think your role hopefully was a result of that. What, what are, what's your day-to-day like, or what, what sort of things are you involved in, in terms of, of your job and, and what you're, you're trying to accomplish? Well, so, uh, since November, there hasn't really been a day-to-day. <laughs> okay. The last few months have been a, a whirlwind. Sure. Um, and the one, one great thing I love about this role is that I really get to set its direction. You know, a lot of my role is listening and then implementing what people are telling, right? Um, and just having that space that somebody is dedicated to this, I think it's been really um, helpful for residents and for people who are already doing this work in our community to have that person who's connected to the city administrator have that direct link. And so when I came in um, the first few months that I was here, I was really just doing that. I was just listening. I was making connections. I was building those relationships because, like I've said, that is really the key way to understand um, and connect with somebody and actually serve them is to be in their life and understand their priorities. And so that was the first part. And from there, I kind of created a plan. And so my plan for um, how the city of Sun can work on this stuff is figure out how we can engage people to come into the civic process, um, communities especially that we don't um, have a lot of participation from right now, that communities um, with young kids who might have multiple jobs, people who um, might not own property, um, communities of color, people with transportation issues, all of those things are barriers to our traditional system of come to a council meeting and have your voice heard, right? It's not always good enough to just open the door, but you actually have to be active in how you get people through that door. And so that's been what one half of my work is focusing on how do we get people into the civic process. And then when they're here, how are we making sure that the people that they're interacting interacting with, our staff, our elected officials, all those people in our spaces um, are there and welcome to them? Because we you know, even though somebody's in the room their voice is not always there. Maybe um, I'm happy to have you here, but this is the way we do things is not an acceptable way for us to move forward because we know that the way we do things prioritizes moneyed, older people. And so we, that's, that's our main focus right now. Some of the ways we got to implement that where we started off um, bringing people from the community, some community leaders, to create our guiding principles for a thriving some prairie, which is our commitment to diversity, equity, and inclusion. And all of this journey can be seen on civicsunprairie.com slash civicsunprairie. Um, and then from there, you figure out how do we keep ourselves accountable to that? Because I think a lot of times um, institutions and public places are putting these messages out there and they're saying, we welcome you, we support you, but they're not actually putting the action behind it to make sure um, that they're living up to those values. So right now, um, like you may know, we're doing the Restore the Right to Breathe campaign, which is a series of events to bring together communities and dialogue to provide that healing space and to really look at our policies. And that's going to be for the month of June. And then once June is over, we're going to be jumping into uh, actually look, doing a policy audit. So this morning I got to have a meeting with our HR team and we're figuring out how do we measure our policies against our, our stated values and actually have them be this transparent system that lives up to our values. So that's going to be our next step in that. My role is split between two different things, so communications and diversity strategists. And hopefully those things overlap. I'm so happy that I get to define the, the community's communication through the diversity lens. So sometimes I'll be pulled aside to create press releases 
or to do other communications plans. Um, you know, I worked on the uh, state of the city address with the mayor before. Hmm. But then this diversity work is that more internal piece. Yeah, no, I, I, the what has happened so far, I think, has been has been good, all good. Um, and, and it is, you know, there is it is starting to translate some of those words into into action in terms of of actual events um, and things that are happening and ways to to educate um, the community and the the kind of know your rights seminar was really good. Mm-hmm. I, I got to ask you about the 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 statement that the city put out initially about uh, Sun Prairie's plan to restore the right to breathe. I believe mm-hmm. um, I mentioned it in a, an earlier episode that I just I, th- I thought it was really eloquent and well put. Um, as you know, I'm sitting here in in some prairie and you're watching this stuff unfold and you're wondering what what's the response going to be from my city um and i was really impressed by it and i didn't know if you were involved in crafting that or or who was responsible for for putting those words out because i thought they were really well done so i came up with the plan to restore the right to breathe i think it was that weekend um right after george floyd's death and i knew that you know the city needed to say something um and we needed to have some action behind it so i came up with that plan i'm not exactly sure which um materials you're talking about, but I write all of the um, copies for, um, especially right now, for this campaign, but generally as things go out um, from our level at the city administration level, that's that's me, and uh, I work very closely with Sandy, um, who's our community engagement manager. Yeah, because you said it's kind of twofold. It overlaps the diversity and communication strategist. You've got to be able to keep uh, keep tabs on what's going on in the city government, but then also be able to communicate it out mm-hmm. so that people, so that it's effective and yeah. works. So that's, that's good to hear. Uh, you know, I, I, I talked with the uh, last week, I talked with Marilyn Ruffin, um, who's on the school board and we focused a lot on education. Mm-hmm. You know, what, what has been your, your response thus far, um, you know, and, and specifically around, the police, I think, you know, what they've said so far has been very positive and they, you know, reacted to the protests we had in town uh, fairly positively. But what do you feel like your your comfort level is working with the police and what what most most black citizens in, in some prairie do you feel like the the police, the interactions are generally relatively positive or um, or are there some issues there that we need to address? Obviously, there's issues there we need to address. And I think you need to you need to understand that a lot of people right now think this can't happen to Sun Prairie. Sun Prairie is a community that, you know, is welcoming. This would never happen. And I want people to challenge themselves to think about this border that they've created in their head where what happened in Minneapolis, what happened in Milwaukee, what happens in Madison is somehow stopping at some street um, and couldn't happen here. You right. know, these, these deep-seated issues that define um, the way that we have uh, police forces in this country are built, they have built in injustices in them. I think one thing that we saw with the Know Your Rights campaign is that there's huge leeway um, for the police when they're interacting with you. And what that means is that so much of their individual biases come into play. Luckily, our police force is led by a great police chief um, who's been working on this stuff even before he was in, our, in this role. And one thing that I really admired about um, and I remember having these conversations with him, including that night, the Rotary Rights campaign, is that he genuinely understands that not everybody's experience is the same, and he doesn't try to convince you that your experience is invalid. Right. I think right now a lot of people um, who are trying to be allies are telling people, well, actually, no, that can't happen to you or that wouldn't happen here. But thinking about a positive experience with the police, um, that example that I brought up earlier, being a new black neighbor in a community, I was speaking with someone 
before um, any of these protests happened a couple months ago, and he was a black man who had moved to Stone Prairie, and he had moved into his house, and um, the police came by, and they were polite, and they said, oh, we just had a, a message um, from someone saying that somebody was walking around the house and they didn't recognize, and it was a positive experience and that nothing escalated. But the fact that he now knows that his neighbor saw him, feared him, had the police call, and they felt that it was relevant for them to go in and question somebody in their own home, that's a negative experience in and of itself. Absolutely. And so it doesn't always have to escalate death or manhandling, but the very fact that sometimes you see the police force used as a tool to question and criminalize people living their lives is a problem right at the beginning. Yeah, and it all comes down to put yourself in their shoes and how you know mm-hmm. how would you feel if if someone called the police just because you were walking around your house? Exactly, and I think it's hard for a lot of majority population people to even understand what that would be like because it it's essentially not going to happen. And right? even you know, I think about if if police showed up and said someone said I was walking around my house or I have a teenager with long hair or you know, wearing baggy pants or whatever reason people have for making, you know, having their prejudice. Uh, even if, as a white person, if the police come to my house and I don't feel good about that, it doesn't have the all of the historical baggage that comes with that. And exactly. and even even putting, it's impossible for a white person to put themselves really and know what that's like when you don't have a life of being kind of looked at or having those experiences and all the history behind it. Uh, and that's the sort of exactly. thing we need to start start to all be aware of um, and realizing what realizing what our, what privilege means and and how we can use that for good and and for ill. So um, yes, it's all part of the process. And I'm I'm learning about it. You know, trying to, to look in the mirror too. And and part of it for me too was thinking, you know, oh this this happened. In, you know, Tony Robinson happened in Madison, but um, mm-hmm. you know, or, or George Floyd happened in Minneapolis. That. Uh, things don't happen with the police in some prairie, and maybe no one's been been killed. Um, but though those sorts of deep seated, um, you know, experiences that are, are part of the, you know, part of the interactions between white people and black people, police and and black people, uh, they're there everywhere, and we have to start to be aware of them and and actively fight against them. Exactly. I think people sticking their head in the sand is one of the most dangerous things they can do um, because all of us have our biases. We all swim in this water that we become unaware of because it's ingrained in how we do everything. I think, you know, as a man, I can have biases against people um, that don't identify the same way I do unless I'm aware of them and actively working against them on a regular basis. And so doing that work is the only way that we can really break these down because the system makes us lean into our prejudices, makes us lean into those historical biases um, because it's, it's the path of least resistance. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, the, the last thing I'll ask you is just what, you know, if there's a message for people of, you know, of some prairie, what, what's your message of, of what people should do or concrete steps that they can take um, to, to make some prairie a, a more more just, uh, equitable, diverse place? Yeah, I, I think a lot of people right now are, are asking themselves that question, what do I do, how do I get so part of this? And I think right now, the best thing that you can be doing is listening with real intention and understanding the, the pain that, that's happening right now and really saying, even though I don't 
understand it, I believe it. I think that's one of the most powerful things you can do. Mm. And then that next step is, okay, now that, I, now that I believe it, now that I see it, now that I understand my part in it, how am I actively going to bring that to my life? I think one of the, the strongest um, uh, maintainers of systemic racism is people's networks. I mean, it's so interesting to think about, look at your friends and your coworkers and your people that your family marries and the people that you see on a regular basis. And they're people that probably look and talk and think like you a lot. And it's so, like I said, it's the path of least resistance to be surrounded by people that are so similar to you. And so being really active in opening up your network, being really active, active in being in spaces that don't speak directly to you, um, that's going to expose you to the experience of, um, especially if you're a white person, that's going to expose you to the experience of other people, of other communities, right? Other communities, uh, minority communities, have always understood the, the reality that white people live because it permeates every piece of our culture, every piece of our lives every single day. But the other way rarely happens. And so if you really want to be a genuine person and to allyship and self-conspiratorship, really put yourself in those uncomfortable situations because somebody has to do the work and it's been people of color this entire time. And speaking of people of color, you know, what I want people to know is you belong here, we need you here. Uh, and not just to be the leaders in this cause, but to be leaders every single day. I think one interesting thing I was reading in an article the other day is that um, a lot of governing boards for these big businesses like Amazon, Facebook, Google, have one person of color, one black person on their board, and yeah. the person that focuses on diversity, equity, and inclusion, right? That's so we should be not putting, these, putting people of color in a box, but we really should be saying, okay, how are we diversifying our finance, how are we diversifying our marketing, how are we diversifying all of these schemes so that it's not this afterthought. And so I think you can do that in your own life. Um, I think you can do that where you work. One thing that we did when we created our com commitment to diversity, equity, and inclusion is we put a, a piece on that website, civicsonprairie.com, uh, civicsonprairie, uh, where people could say, I want to bring this in my community. How do I do that? And I want to work with people to think through, okay, these places that you go in, how are you feeding into um, these systemic systems of race um, and racism, and how can you combat that on your own street? And so it's going to be a long process. It's going to be a lot of work. But I think it's important to realize that someone's doing the work all the time, and just because it hasn't been you doesn't mean that it hasn't been taxing on people. Right. Well, I think some prairie's up to it. I, I think I've, from what I've Me seen, um, it's it's a unique place and time to try to be be well, you know, welcoming and, and evolve into where, what we can be. And uh, I'm excited to see see where we're going. So I hope you're you're the start of it and not the end of it. Absolutely, in terms of uh, representation in, in city government. And I appreciate everything you're doing. So thanks very much. Yeah, and I'm. I think one thing I also want to point out is, you know, I think I'm in the middle, right? There's so many people that have been here for so long right. doing this work. One cool thing that I've gotten to do is work with Jolly Deepa Joe Myers, who has been, who brought Central for Education uh, United, which is focused on um, Black children to the community, and has been working with our elected officials, coming to City Hall, and doing all these things long before I was here. So this is not the beginning. This is not the end. This is another step in that journey, and happily. Um, it is a, an elevated step, and it seems like a lot more people are in this. And unfortunately, we have to be catalyzed by yet another death of a black man at the hands of, you know, power and, and um, institutions uh, in our in our Midwest community. But I think hopping on that opportunity to keep us going on this path that we've already been down and we're already working on um, is the exciting thing at this moment. 
Well, that's terrific. I appreciate your time. And uh, I, I was a, it was this is exactly the kind of conversation I, I want people to be able to hear. Yeah. Look forward to kind of keeping tabs on on what's going on and, and looking for ways that I can help or be involved. So I appreciate you reaching out. And, you know, this is exactly what we need people to be doing is using their platforms to, to, to bring other people into this work. So I'm excited. So that was great. Again, I apologize for the audio quality. Uh, I hope you were able to bear with us, but I, I was—I really wanted people to be able to hear that. And we sent some emails back and forth, Ruben and I, and one of the words he used was vigilance, uh, that he appreciated You know, uh, people trying to remain vigilant and not once this falls off the headlines or, uh, or moves out of the news cycle that we continue to, to think and talk about this kind of thing. So we're lucky to have Ruben. He's an impressive guy, and uh, I'm, I'm very happy that he's in the position he is in the city government. So thanks for listening, everybody, and uh, have a good couple of weeks.